Well, this morning we continue our series, and there are many reasons for hope. And one of the reasons for hope is that uh, God lives within us. And as we think about that, it's a privilege of prayer. This week, I want to encourage you to, to pray the prayer of Ephesians three fourteen through 21 uh, for your own life, as well as for people you care about in your life. Uh, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives his name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. And so as we think about going through life, uh, I know this is not a uh, home improvement. Remember that, uh, that, home, that home improvement? You know, what you want is not only power, but you want more power, right? Let's say that again. Not only you want power, you want more power. Okay, as you think about that, and I'm not sure he always had power that really functioned in a way that was constructive. But as you think of the power of God that, that can resonate in your life when you depend upon him, not yourself, through his spirit, you have the surpassing greatness of his power to live out what he's called us to live, and experience his presence everywhere we go. But as you think about that, for many, that is just uh, wishful thinking. It's, it's kind of religious talk, and it's something that people uh, talk about like that in a place like this, but when you go out and live the rest of your uh, week, it, it's not really true and not really real. Uh, there's a man named Richard Dawkins, who is a professor at Oxford, and he wrote a book a, a while back, made a lot of money off this book, called The God Delusion. And just to let you know that there are people who, you know, they can just mock you because you believe and thinking you're, that's a silliness. But there are those out there now who are being aggressive and saying not only are you um, being silly and that you believe there is a, such a thing as a God, but you are, you're just directing people down the wrong path and not only hurting them but our entire culture. Richard Dawkins writes this in his book, he, or about his book. He says, you know, anyone that believes in God uh, is deluded, in my opinion. He says, when one person suffers from a delusion, it is called insanity. When many people suffer from a delusion, it is called a religion. So the, the basic conclusion there is, if you consider yourself religious at all, and Normally, we don't talk about being a Christian as being religious, but having a relationship with Jesus. But we religiously want to have a relationship with Jesus, which means we regularly live out what we really believe. Uh, basically, he says that's insanity. And, and, and you're bringing other people down the wrong path. And, and he writes in such a way, he says, if this book works, it is intended that every religious reader who opens it will be atheist when they put it down. So now he is what you would call uh, an evangelical atheist. In other words, he, he is, he, evangelistically, he is trying to promote what he doesn't believe, or actually what he does believe, there is no God, and wants everybody else to adopt that same premise for their own life. Now, as we think about, and this is one of those series where it's going to frustrate many of you, uh, and for some it's going, to, it's going to cause your minds to be alert and, and aggressive in terms of thinking through not only what you believe but why you believe it. And I hope to kind of bring both parties together as we try to put it in a way that's, it's re, that's memorable and helpful in terms of, of really being secure in what we believe. Bill mentioned that verse that uh, he said I had mentioned. I'll, I'll just mention now, though it's in the text later on. The Bible tells us that we are to do something. In fact, it tells us a lot of things we ought to do. Would you agree with that? Not only to do, but believe. Uh, and because of what we do believe, it will then compel us out to live out what we believe and do it with not a sense of despair, but filled with hope. Now, the Bible says in uh, 1 Peter 3.15, which I've had so many people 
Uh, so many of you say, I really like this verse because it's so short, okay, to memorize. Uh, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And the whole idea is that set apart, that's what the word sanctify means, is set aside Christ as the leader in the center of who you are, which is your heart. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope and give you an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So God wants us to be prepared to say, well, why do you believe what you believe? So we need to be prepared not only to tell people what we believe, and to put it in simple terms, we believe in the person who begins his name with the letter J, we believe in Jesus. And the question is, why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you believe in Jesus more than he was just some um, Palestinian preacher uh, that was, you know, sharing a lot of religious talk with people, but you believe that he is more than that, that he was truly God become flesh and announce the good news that we could know life, have our sins forgiven, and be prepared to live for eternity with God. Why do you believe that? And, and then the other part, in the midst of all this, uh, we want to make sure you understand that th- there is a byproduct for being confident about what you believe. If you're insecure about what you believe, that's going to that's gonna change uh, the experience of living out how the Bible describes the abundant life. You're not experiencing fullness when you're filled most of the time in your life with doubt and questions. Is this really just wishful thinking? Have I somehow drank the Kool-Aid and, uh, and believing in things that aren't true? And so we're, we're, that's our endeavor. But what I want to talk about a little bit today as we introduce this, and if I'm speaking too fast, just wait till I speak faster, is that... Is I want to focus again. That we've entitled the series, There Really Are Reasons for Hope. But we want to make sure that we are resonating. Well, what is this hope that only God can uniquely give us? You know, people who don't go to places like this, they can have hope, which is a positive perspective on life, uh, having thoughts that are, are, are leaning toward good things are happening rather than bad things are happening. But what's the uniqueness of having hope that only God can give? So I want to show a, uh, about a four-minute video that kind of emphasizes that as we begin. of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation, and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible, and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavas for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kava and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, At this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kava for him. 
The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find the same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms, where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord, because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see, in any situation, how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires, and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus, and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope, and they used the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The Apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope, that people can be reborn, to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the El Peace of glory. In both cases, this El Peace is based on a person, the risen Jesus, who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The Apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. I've had an opportunity to, to watch that numerous times, and it just reminds me that often, even in a short period of time, a lot of content can come out, and after a while I go, now, what did he really say? Or what did they really say? What, what's the main idea I want to take away from me? And that's one of the reasons why we try to make as a habit uh, for us as we hear anyone preach up here or, speak, or teach up here is, what's your takeaway? Because if you don't somehow bring it uh, into a, a fine point, you're, you're going to lose all the, the little points as well. And so this morning, what I want to emphasize to you is you think about hope in the midst of all that. What my takeaway from that is you need to recognize what hope is, is, is waiting for someone to do what he's promised. And really, that's what we're all, all anticipating, is that our hope is not in circumstances. Our hope is not in understanding what, what God has not revealed, but what he has revealed and what he's promised. And as we think about the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, that could either be an oncoming train, you know, okay, or if you really believe that light is Jesus, that we know that our future is settled because God keeps his promises. 
And so as we think about it, we then have to ask ourselves the question, well, why do we believe that? Or why do we really have a confident hope that that's really what's going to happen? Well, uh, I put this definition in your outlines this morning, is reason a reason for hope, the message this morning, what we're going to try to get to, is hope in God is a confident assurance that, of what did or will happen because of what He, what God has promised. Now, let, let's be honest, as, as we'll call it relational Christians, people who really are convinced that we have a relationship with living God um, through Jesus Christ, is that we pray for things that sometimes, what, don't happen, Right? And we're saying, well, was that because of a lack of faith or we, were we, was something wrong with our hope? Well, we need to realize that as we think about assurance of what will happen, and we are convinced about what will happen because of what did happen, which is the empty tomb and the promises of God being faithful in the past. And if they're faithful in the past, they're going to be faithful in the future. It is that what we want to put our confidence in, complete confidence in and assurance is in what he has promised. Now, we don't know circumstantially what will happen as we pray for people who are sick or in need of a job or um, there's difficult things happening in their family. We can pray for and believe that God can do it. But what we can be confident of is what He has promised. And one of the things He's promised, as I alluded to in Ephesians chapter 3, is He had promised that when you go through it, you have His power to go through it, His surpassing power. You also have confidence that no matter what you go through, you don't go through it alone as Jesus goes through it with you. And in the midst of all that you go through, that you can experience the peace of God, His presence, giving you assurance that it's all going to turn out in the end in a way that God has planned it for it to happen, and so you can have peace. And so what we want to do is to recognize that we can experience all that God has promised for us, and that is our hope. And so what we're doing now, however, is to try to prepare ourselves for our own confidence because we believe it's true and not just wishful thinking, and also be prepared to share that with others. So really what we're trying to deal with is are there really reasons to, to hope that God exists? And the primary part of what we're going through initially is, is answering the question, well, not who is God, and that we obviously here believe it's Jesus, and we'll talk about that. But is it, is it even possible to conceive that there is a God? Because if there is no God, then Jesus can't be who? That's a very profound thought, isn't it? You know? If there is no God, then Jesus can't be God. So why would we believe there's a supreme being that has put all these things into place? Why would we believe that? Are, are all of us insane, religiously insane, deluded this morning? And, and so we're going to attack this in a variety of different ways. And this series is not to somehow promote that if we go through this and, and get some of these things down, that now we're now smarter than anybody else. It, it's not a matter of being smarter. I, I, I tell people all the time, I'm not that smart, but I know some people that, that are smart, right? And, and so that's all we're really doing. We're saying, look, at, we're taking what people have thought through and examined and saying, look, at, if I, I take what they have to say, then I have some rational reasons to believe what I believe in is actually true. And, and really what we're going to do, and I put it this way, crimes are questions with answers. Last week we looked at, is causality a reason to have hope? Today we're going to look at, is reason a reason to have hope? We're going to look at even the existence of all the information we have in the world, is that a reason to have hope? Then we're going to look at morality and, and the, the, the existence of evil, and then even, is science a reason for us to have hope? Uh, but what I want to do a little bit is to review last week. Uh, some of you... Um, 
said that the, the pastor up here wasn't preaching very clearly, and so I want to kind of go back to that a little bit and then uh, try to um, go on to a, 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 hopefully a simple explanation. Is reason a reason to have hope? Uh, but as we're doing that, and, and basically we talked about that God started it all, didn't he? That, that there was a supreme being that created it. And I, I want to share with you, somebody put this in my, my mailbox, actually this morning I saw it, and thought this might be a good introduction to it. Uh, and here was, the, here was a little story. My grandson was visiting me one day when he asked, uh, Grandpa, do you know how you and God are alike? And I min- mentally polished my halo and I said, No, how are we alike? You're both really old. <laughs> now, as you think about that, that we, we are really presupposing this, and in fact, we are convinced it's true, that there is a being that is extremely old. In fact, he has always existed. Now, the Bible says that we all have a future, but our past did not begin when God began, that he's the one who began everything. And, and that is one of the reasons we ought to consider that there really truly is a God, because how else did all these things come to being? Um, so let, let's try to attack that this morning by way of review and, and see uh, how that helps. First of all, is causality a reason for hope? The Bible begins that way. In fact, I want you to just be aware that as we go through this, we won't be examining just one particular text uh, as we go through book by book, verse by verse, but we'll deal with some particular texts. But the Bible starts that way, doesn't it? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, who? God created the heavens and the earth and just goes on. And then he, he did give some detail about what happened and how it happened and uh, who was the source of that happening. And so the Bible really alludes to that. As we think about why people ought to believe, he just says, look, let's look around. How do you think this happened? In Psalm 19.1, it says, the heavens declare the glory of who? The glory of God. So how do all that that we see around us, how do you explain that? And then in Romans chapter 1, I have it in your outlines this morning, we have Paul appealing to the Romans. And he says this, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes... His eternal power and divine nature. I'm just stopping there for a moment. His invisible attributes. Now, have you seen some of our sunrises and sunsets recently? Have you gone to the beach and see the beauty surrounding uh, the waterfront? Have you, have you looked up into the mountains or the sky? And, and one of the things you acknowledge about God, his invisible attribute, is he is a beautiful God, right? Because... Only that which has beauty can create that which is beautiful. And so all these things that we see just in creation that has been marred by our sin, uh, the, the Bible says that even creation groans within itself because of the, the fall of man. But it says, For since the creation of this world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. And then he goes on and says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculation, and their foolish heart was darkened. Uh, You know, as I read that opening line from Richard Dawkins, and he basically called us all insane and deluded, uh, the Bible speaks back at people as well. I mean, we can all throw out disparaging words about each other, right? Well, the Bible says in Psalm 14.1, The fool has said in his heart, there is no what? God. And Paul says that again in Romans. And he said, one appeal to that is just look at creation. Look at the existence of everything we see. And that's what we tried to do last week. And for some, it was clear and some it was unclear. So I've rephrased it a little bit. 
if the word causality, the causality argument doesn't resonate with you, and some rightfully said, well, when I think of cause, I think of purpose or intention. And I thought, yeah, I should have thought of that before I used it, all right? Yeah, and I'm not the only one who's used that, but I'm saying I, I probably could have anticipated that if I had been a little smarter than I am, all right? So we could, we could go right to the, the point. We could say, look at the creation argument or the creation reason. Or if you want to use a different word, it just doesn't work in our crimes, you know, acrostic, is that you could look at the issue of origins. You know, you know what is... I, 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 Here's how origin is defined. It's the point or place where something begins, arrives, or is derived. There are some synonyms for that. A beginning, a start, an origination, a genesis, a birth, a dawn, an emergence, an inception, uh, a, a launch, a creation, a birth. And in, in reality, that, that's what we're talking about when we say, is there a reason for us to believe there is a supreme being that started this all off. And part of it is as simple as this. Well, how do you explain that which is now existing? How did it get here? Where did it come from, right? And we phrased it a little bit different last week, but I decided to phrase it this way this week. So as we think about it, is this a powerful reason? Everything that has not always existed exists. Uh, ex- Everything that's not always existed had something or someone bring it into existence. And, and basically what we're looking at is we're looking at two premises and a conclusion. And this, this syllogism doesn't work if one of the premises don't work. And so you can just ask yourself, is, is it, can you give any example about anything that didn't always exist and explain how it existed apart from something or someone bringing it into existence? Now, you know, I've racked my brain as small as it is, and I can't think of anything, anything observable. Use a scientific method. What has come into existence that wasn't in existence before it came into existence? And if you look at making things or putting things together, it always required someone or something to make that to happen. And so then you go on to the next premise. Well, the universe hasn't always existed. We talked about it last week that it had a beginning. And for the longest period of time, scientists said, well, really, we don't need to explain the beginning or the origin of what we have here because material things have always existed. And that really speaks about the point, doesn't it? If, if everything's always existed, you don't need someone to bring it into existence. Shake your head like you're still listening with me, all right? And so they've discovered that. And, and I had some questions this past week. Well, um, and Hubble in 1925, and, you know, he, he brought the whole telescope and began to observe that the stars were separating from each, itself and the, and, the, and the light coming in. And they're saying, hey, look, it's, it's expanding. And someone asked, well, is it expanding into already existing space or is it expanding? How does that work? And I go, I don't know, Okay. I did some reading, and some people use analogies, and, and it said like this. It, it's kind of like if you, for, I'm, I'm now speaking out of my element here as well. It's like if you had a, a piece of um, raisin bread dough, and I was thinking, why do they pick raisin bread? I know some people don't like raisins. Allegra, where's Allegra? She doesn't like raisins. But, but I think the raisins are in there to illustrate that those would be like stars, all right? So you have the raisins in the dough. And, and, and then as you, I guess you bake it, right? You bake it, and I've never done this, okay? So then the, the, uh, the, the bread begins to, to what? To rise, okay? 
And what it does is it doesn't create more space. It just makes it bigger space. You know what I'm saying? It's still within the dough, but it just expands out. And that's what they discovered. And they're saying that really speaks that the, the universe had to have a beginning for this to happen. And some other reasons as well. And so premise number one, everything that has not always existed had to come into existence by someone or something. The universe has not always existed. Therefore, therefore, the universe had something or someone to bring it into existence. So as we look at creation, it's not just saying, well, the Bible says because creation, um, then we ought to believe, is, is even as we use just common sense, it demands that there's someone or something brought into existence. And what we are boldly saying, but plainly saying, this someone or something is God. And it had to be something outside of itself, the universe, to bring it into existence. So it had to be eternal, spaceless, all those things we talked about last week. So that's the creation reason or causality reason or the cosmological reason. And it really is a strong rational point as far as that's why I believe what I believe, that there is truly a God. Now, this morning what we want to talk about briefly is we want to, oh, by the way, there are not two alternatives to say this because all these things are going to be on the test. So just realize at the end of this series you're going to, no. You can also put it this way simply, no one made everything out of nothing. Someone made everything out of nothing. And so you have to say, well, which seems more reasonable? Because what we're talking about is reasons here. That no one or nothing brought everything into existence? How, how reasonable is that? I don't know about you, but that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? But it does more make something. The someone or something brought everything into existence, and it came out of nothing. Now, what I want to talk today, however, is, is reason a reason for hope? It's not in your outline, but there's a verse in the, the book of Proverbs and Proverbs 23.7, you might want to write that down, but it says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, that has a, a longer or bigger context as far as what he's really trying to say there, but you could, you could put it in the opposite way. If a man isn't thinking, that he doesn't what? As a man thinketh, so is he. If a man is not thinking, then he's probably not, he doesn't exist, Right? And now, that's not really the point of that passage, but really what it's saying here is that you can determine what is true about a person by what's happening inside them. It doesn't always, is not always obvious by what they say on the outside, but what they say on the inside is really what's true about them. And, and, and as you think about, well, how, how, does a, how does a person have the capacity to, to say things one side, on one side of his mouth and also believe something on the what? The other side of his mouth. Well, the only really way to explain that is the ability, the ability of that person to be able to do that can't be explained just from a materialistic perspective. See, the, those who don't believe in a God have to somehow come up with the issue of origins or creation or how things came into existence. And, and normally the response back to it, well, we don't know now, but someday science is going to tell us that. Well, I, I don't know about you, but I don't have a lot of hope and faith that that's going to happen because it, it makes no sense that you're still going to have to come up with the issue, the spontaneous generation, which was disproved centuries ago, 
that, that something came out of nothing. And, and as you think about it, it's true not only in the material world, but just think about it for, the, for a moment. It's also true of the, about the immaterial world. Now, now, we believe in the angelic realm and, and all that, uh, the, the forces that we cannot see, but we also believe in other things that we cannot see. Uh, we, we, we believe in the laws of logic. You know, we believe uh, in the laws of nature. We, we believe in the, the, the laws of communication. We believe all kinds of things that you cannot put in a test tube and analyze, right? And you have to ask yourself the question, well, where do they come from? And, and, and really, this again, I, I, I'm gonna, we've got two points this morning. One is the creation reason. Just went over that. Now we're going to talk about the, the reason is a reason to have hope. This is the reason um, uh, argument or reason. And it's this. Our, our, uh, is reason, choice, or logic something that is material or immaterial? It's got to be immaterial. How did they come into existence? Our ability to reason and have relationships makes no sense if we are only physical beings and there's nothing immaterial about us. Because if you reduce yourself to just a bunch of atoms and molecules and chemicals that are firing, synapses that are firing all the time, you're just, you're, you're just there's, what are you relating to? Uh, we're going to end this whole particular perspective is, uh, have you noticed on a lot of uh, sites when you, when you, when you type in and stuff like that, at the end of it, they'll say, would you check this box? I am not a what? Oh, you guys got that, right? Because if, if we're only chemicals and molecules and atoms, the reality is we really couldn't check that box because that's what we are. We're, we're robots. In fact, um, there's just a lot of fun things out there that are happening in the world today. There was a, an article in the U.S. News um, uh, the, the Wall Street Journal, and it says, workers, your robot overlords have arrived. Uh, and, and they start with a positive thing, but then kind of a sobering thing. Uh, you can stop worrying that robots will take your job. There we go. Whew. Can you imagine? You could have a robot up here, right? Okay. <laughs> oh, 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 by the way, they didn't go on. It said, but start worrying that they will decide who gets your jobs. And this is actually happening. Millions of people work, uh, with, in working positions are increasingly governed by software and um, algorithms. This is starkly illustrated by a report last week that Amazon.com uh, uh, tracks the pro- productivity of its employees and fires those who underperform with little human intervention. You're not being evaluated by people anymore in certain positions. You're evaluated by artificial intelligence. Now, I don't think we have to be afraid of artificial intelligence. I think technology can be used for good or if it can be used for bad. But what we have to analyze in ourselves, are, are, are we really just, you know, um, deluding ourselves to think that we're not just highly developed artificial and uh, intelligent people? It's all chemical. It's all physical. It's all atoms and molecules moving around. Now, I want to submit to you, most common sense thing with people say, well, if, we're only, if you can reduce this all to that which is physical, how do you explain being able to reason, to able to think, to, to process information, come with logical conclusions or illogical conclusions? How does that happen? Is it just, is it just happening chemically? Uh, and also, how are we able to relate with one another? But another thing you can do is you can say, well, let, let, let's just wrestle with the issue is, uh, do we have only a brain or do we have a mind and a brain? 
Just turn to the person next to you and say, I don't think you have either. No, <laughs> you know, you know it, it, obviously if we, if we have, uh, that's what my wife told me all week, okay, is that, is that you know, a brain, well, to find the brain is that physical part of you, and, and they, they have the ability to, you know, go into your brain and figure out parts of your brain, which that's your, your that, that part does that emotion, that part does that emotion, that part is that cognitive thinking over here, and, and, and they can... They can figure out where that is functioning on a physical level. And, and let me just be completely honest with you here. The Bible says that we're both um, immaterial and material. God created this being that we live, this physical being we're living. So God has worked that all out. The issue is, is there any distinction being just something defined physically, but also beyond that, which is just physical? And, and I throw out a few things here, and um, Frank Turek deals with this you know, I try to summarize it a little bit differently. But do your thoughts only come from your physical brain, or is your mind distinct from your brain? Well, here's some reason why we would say, I think there's some distinction here. How can you explain your brain physically changing, but your thoughts being able to stay the same? And in case I'm not clear here, yes, your physical brain can affect your mind. We can all agree with that. But what does not make sense, if there is something distinct about that, why it is your mind affect your physical brain, unless it's there. Um, you know, they've, they've done studies is that basically every cell in your body changes, um, depending upon who you read, they'll say in different times, within 15 years, you are a completely different physical being. Every cell in your body has changed. Well, that can happen in 15 years, but how come that doesn't wipe away every single memory you have? If you're just physical, wouldn't that change maybe some of your memories? Because those brain cells aren't there anymore. And that gives some indication that, well, maybe we're not totally tied to our physical brain. How can you explain making choices or reasoning with people if you function only by chemicals in various parts of your brain? And when you think about that, it really is a particularly strange ability, if it's just chemicals and it's a pertinent spot that you can kind of diagnose it, how do you explain the different thoughts that people have? You know, know, why does some thought over here, you know, that person likes the Dodgers and the other person likes the Angels. That person likes chocolate chip and the other person hates mint chip. And and, and where, where are some of these subjective thoughts? Because the brain is objective and many of our thoughts are subjective. How do we explain that? Or put it this way, your material brain can affect your immaterial mind, but how does your immaterial mind affect your material brain if it doesn't exist? And really the idea here, you know, in so many different ways, you could say, now we know that if you take drugs in your brain and change some things happening in your brain with a drug, it will change, you know, your behavior. But independent of that, how does, your, how does what you're, you're going through mentally affect you physically. I, I was just driving home from a, an event uh, on Saturday, and, and at, at Cal Berkeley, one of the professors, I didn't write down his name because I was driving, didn't want to get a ticket, but anyway, he, he was saying, you know, he was just amazed that now at Berkeley they discovered that, that their students are going through a lot of anxiety disorder. And, and you know, they were asking, well, what, why is this? Well, they're, they're, they're really... They're, they're struggling with world issues. They're filled with worry. They're, they're worried about how they're going to achieve in their classes, but also after they get out of it, will they get a job after they get out of the classes? And it's, it's increased 100%. It's, like, it's just doubled in the last few years. 
And what is it called from? Basically, just mental stress has affected them so much they can't function in school. Well, is that some bizarre, chemical, random change within their physical brain? Or has that happened something with who they are personally that has now changed the way they're thinking that's now affected them physically? How do, we, how do we put those two together? You know, even, even the placebo effect. I was reading an article by um, one who, who did a, a whole study on the placebo effect. And depending, you know, the placebo effect, you know, is that some, they have a, you know, a control group and they bring in and they both, they give real medicine to one group and, you know, uh, a, a bogus medicine to another, and they found out if you give someone bogus medicine and they think it's real, 35 to 45 percent of the time, they'll, be, they'll get just as well as the people who got the real medicine. Now, again, if you reduce it just to physical, being a physical being, you'd say, well, only that, that which would treat the issue physically is going to make you well. Your mind could not control how you, how you change physically. In fact, they really aren't believers and say, this is a real trouble for us who, who don't think that um, there is a soul or a spirit or a mind that is separate from the body living within. So, so what's my point this morning? You know, trying to give a few illustrations. We think about why do we believe what we believe? One is, is we look at the creation argument or the creation reason. How did we get here? Where did we come from? How do you explain it? Did nothing bring everything into existence or did something or someone bring it into existence? It makes more sense to me that it was someone. Then any, the other part is, is just even the ability to have rational thought and have relationships. How do you explain that? Does some impersonal force somehow make me into a personal being? How does that make sense? How do I explain the mind and the brain and, and our mind being able to dictate how we are physically and how we perform? And it's not some chemical thing that we've ingested. Well, maybe there, there is something about us that, that God has made uniquely so that we can know him. You know, the Bible says, as man thinks so is he, which means your brain can really deal with issues that are going not only in your life but somebody else's life. And that's why we have Stephen's Ministries, that we think a person can interact with others and make a, a positive impact on their lives. And also in Isaiah 1.18, it says, Come, let us reason together. This is an invitation by, by God himself to take people who were far from him, who knew a lot about him. He's speaking to the religious people, God's people, the people of Israel. And they'd gone off another path. He said, why don't you just come to me and just reason with me because I am the only one who can take a life that has been darkened by your own sin and your rebellion against me and take your life that was filled with darkness and make you as white as snow. I want to submit to you this morning, no matter where you've come from in terms of your relationship with God, wherever you are in your journey, is I just want to, I just want to open up your heart and, and your mind to believe, as Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I, I don't want you to believe this if it's not true. I, I, I don't want you to believe this because it, it's just some brainwashing, that it's a placebo effect that gives you 35 to 40% chance it's going to work on you because well, it doesn't matter whether it's true or not. This is true. 
and it changes everything. Let's pray together. Father, I pray as we <laughs> go through this, and I'm, I am probably not most qualified one to deal with issues that uh, um, smarter people than I am that, that have wrestled with this. But Father, it's not about how much gray matter we have, but can we recognize truth when we see it? And does it make sense? And are our rational reasons to believe stronger than those who, who seem to have their own agenda? And the agenda, the Bible says, when we, when we don't follow you is we're suppressing the truth because we want to live like we want to live and not as our Creator has made us to live. Father, there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you. I just pray they open up their heart and their lives to Jesus and say, I want to follow, I want to follow the one who died on my behalf and rose from the grave so that my sins can be completely forgiven. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.